In this podcast, Tessa Holland, priest, speaker, contemplative practitioner, and spiritual director, explores the theme of an exploration of the apostolic dimension of the contemplative way. This address was recorded at the National Conference, exploring the place of contemplative expressions of church, contemporary mission, and fresh expressions of the church at the London Centre for Spirituality on Monday, the 16th of May, 2011. Well, good afternoon, and thank you for that introduction, Ian. I'm aware that this is the graveyard slot, so I hope that you're feeling refreshed um, with food and water and fresh air. I also hope that um, you're not feeling too comfortable, um, because that hopefully might mean that you stay awake during my talk. My question this afternoon is, well, it's an exploration of the apostolic dimension of the contemplative way, really with two questions to help that exploration. What is the link between the contemplative and the apostolic? And what does mission, or the apostolic, look like from a contemplative perspective? Now, I'm no guru, and I don't have all the answers at all. I have lots of questions. Uh, And this is work in progress. But it is an area that's been arising out of um, having stepped out of parish ministry and my work with contemplative fire in the South Downs region of Sussex. They've really risen out of my experience and my hope in sharing them with you today is that they might act as a catalyst both for your own thinking and journey and also for my learning too. So what is the link between the contemplative and the apostolic? Well, first of all, what do I mean by contemplative? And I can feel already that I'm on thin ice. It's, um, it's not an easy, um, it isn't easy to give a definition, and it's probably very dangerous. Um, it's holy ground, and Thomas Merton says that uh, rather than read lots of books about it and find out what it's about, the best way is to practice contemplation. But just for the here and now, I would just like to to share where I'm speaking from. I'd like to name it as the inward movement of the soul-seeking God. And it's an inward movement that holds within it positive and negative strands. The positive of seeking God in prayer, wonder, delight, praise, creativity, reflection and silence and the negative of of an awareness of an inner hunger, a longing, a desire for the other, where in the vacuum of the apparent absence of the beloved, all words, symbols, and practices seem to fail. And in the silence, the ego is not only challenged, but is invited to surrender itself. Within this positive-negative path, there is a hallowing and a harrowing where the soul is purified, illumined, and perfected in the midst of darkness and unknowing. And there's no hierarchy here, no one better way than the other. And one can't speak about the negative way without also speaking about the positive. The essential thing here is that this is an inward movement of the soul seeking the beloved. And what do I mean when I say apostolic? Well, again, this is probably inadequate, but just in the here and now of today, 
I'd like to name it as the outward movement of living and proclaiming Christ in whatever context I find myself. A movement that's particularly visible in loving service and compassionate practice, and for which words may or may not be necessary. And an illustration of my journey at the moment and an expression of that is the painting that you can see on the screen, entitled Encounter at Dawn. And I'm just going to leave it there as a visual to support um, these words. So what is the relationship between contemplation and the apostolic? I'd like to touch on scripture, tradition and experience. A familiar passage from the Gospel according to St John, chapter 15, verses 1 to 5. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Christ himself names the connection between the inner and the outer, the abiding in him, the deep indwelling in order that we might bear fruit. Jesus talks about a vine. Well, I'm a gardener, um, and I don't have a vine, but I do have oak trees um, and the woodland at the back of the garden. And so every single spring, when I'm gardening, I find the acorns that the squirrels have lost. Saplings of six inches of growth, which seem to have appeared from nowhere, almost in a two or three days, and, of course, there's the need to move them, which I try to do sensitively and replant them somewhere else. And I've discovered that six inches of growth, top growth, can mean at least 12 inches of root, if not more. And I think that's a wonderful metaphor for abiding in Christ, the deep, hidden dwelling that is really necessary in order to support growth. The contemplative tradition also tells us that the purpose of the contemplative life is to be transformed by love into the likeness of love for the sake of love. Teilhard de Chardin, 20th century Roman Catholic Jesuit, in some of his published work, which was published after his death in the 1950s, says this, Lord, lock me up in the deepest depths of your heart, and then holding me there, burn me, purify me, set me on fire, subliminate me till I become utterly what you would have me be. I think it was said this morning um, in one of the addresses that. This work of contemplation is not an escape from the world. 
It is not an escape from reality. It is a journey into the deeper reality of God and of ourselves. Thomas Merton speaks of how the inner journey is primary, of how we're called to dwell deeply within God and to be continually transformed. He says, our real journey is interior. It is a matter of growth, deepening, and of an ever greater surrender to the creative action of love and grace in our hearts. And Teresa of Avila, 16th century reforming nun, speaks of how love is not static and that it is the nature of love to be dynamic and outward moving. She says, love where present cannot possibly be content with remaining always the same. So there is a dynamic relationship between the inner and outer journey, fueled and resourced by abiding deeply in Christ. And from my experience of being a companion with contemplative fire and of adopting our common rhythm of life, of which is threefold, of contemplative creative and compassionate practice, I have found that there is, there is a, a, um, a, not the spiral, but the trefoil of our, of our rhythm is, is one of always movement, of journeying between the two and of allowing there to be balance of my creative practice informing my contemplative practice, which then informs my compassionate practice. So it's, um, it's that movement which is essential. And it's not always a successful movement. This dynamic also has a negative strand, within which lies several, um, well, paradox, really, of firstly, the surrender of self to God in order to find one's true self and purpose, withdrawal from the superficial, which is often very busy and visible, in order to become more deeply connected in the life of the spirit. One of the questions I'm asked when I go down to the village to do the shopping, if I bump into somebody from a previous um, parish ministry, the, the question I'm asked most of all is not how are you, but are you busy? Seems to be a disease. Um, and uh, I've really struggled to find an appropriate and kind way of responding to that question. Um, and, and people say, what are you doing these days? Don't see you around anymore. Um, so that withdrawal has been quite challenging, um, but I have found deeply resourcing and very necessary. There is, of course, the embrace of silence in order to be transformed in the power and energy of the word and being hidden in Christ in order to reflect Christ in the world. I would like to suggest that the contemplative is no less active than the apostolic, for the activity is God's alone. And both the inner and outer of my life are the mission field. It isn't all out there. My heart is the primary place for encounter and transformation in Christ. And without that very deep and wonderful transformation, that being set on fire, I have nothing to offer anybody else. 
So what does the apostolic look like through the, the lens of the contemplative path? Now, this isn't a complete picture, um, but I'm tentatively noticing the following. Firstly, it's organic and rhythmic. It reflects the rhythms of creation, the ebb and flow of tides and seasons, of seeding, nurturing, growing, decay, and letting go into death. If, as Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, then pruning and death is part and parcel of that growth. We have some roses in our garden, and I have absolutely nothing. I don't know how to prune a rose, to be honest. So each year I go and have a little conversation with the shrub and sort of say, well, what does it look like might be helpful to prune? Um, and each year it's working slowly. Um, but there is, there is that... I, I don't like pruning very much because I love it when things have grown. And it seems really cruel to cut something back to maybe a third of its, of its height. Um, but as a result of doing so, there is amazing growth in the new season. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, says, I sowed, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. I've needed to be reminded of that. It is God who gives the growth, not me. This perspective sees God as a source of growth and works with God's timing and agenda not with mine. And in this context, the question can be asked, what needs to die in order that there might be future growth? And that noticing and naming is not about getting rid of what I do not like, but is about letting go of what is no longer fruitful. And that, like the gardener who prunes, is done with purpose, purposeful attention and care. Secondly, the apostolic through the lens of the contemplative path is fueled by desire and compassion. Whilst there's an openness for growth, there is paradoxically no ambition in the contemplative life. Ambition is replaced by desire, and that desire is to attend to love. Apostolic life of a community, of a person, is therefore fueled by attending to the one who is love, rather than by attending to anxiety about the future. And I know that temptation. I've been there. I've sat in PCC meetings and thought, what are we going to do? Um, and I'm coming slowly to the conclusion that actually what I need to be doing in order to foster community is to attend to the one who is love and to be transformed by love. The contemplative tradition also speaks with the language of the wisdom tradition, of God as beloved and of ourselves as the beloved of God. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, says the Song of Songs. This language, articulated in the lives and writings of John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila and Bernard of Clairvaux, amongst others, is the gift of the contemplative to a contemporary context of a culture that idolizes itself but cannot love itself. I would suggest that learning to be loved is the first step in loving the other, both personally and as community. Again, that was spoken of this morning. 
and I'm finding that learning to speak and act from within the language of the beloved enables engagement with others who are alienated from religion and sometimes from themselves as well. And that's true across the socio-economic spectrum. From a sales assistant at a bus stop that I was in conversation with some four years ago to two nights ago at a dinner speaking with a wealthy, successful professional. Thirdly, the contemplative apostolic is incarnational and embodied. We are called to be Christ and to meet Christ in the place where we are sent, which may, well, may, may be the place we've been all along. We can all too often want to be in a different place to where we are, thinking that that's, you know, God's got a work for us to do somewhere else. And just some words from the tradition, which I have found helpful. Teresa of Avila again. The Lord doesn't look so much at the greatness of our works as at the, the love with which they are done. And Meister Eckhart, 13th century mystic, says, What good is it to me if this eternal birth of the divine Son takes place unceasingly but does not take place within myself? And what good is it to me if Mary is full of grace and if I am not also full of grace? What good is it to me for the Creator to give birth to his or her son if I do not also give birth to him in my time and my culture? This, then, is the fullness of time when the Son of God is begotten in us. For me, this is about seeking and serving God in the ordinary and in doing so, both sanctifying and being sanctified in the tasks, the people, and the places of our lives. And I would recommend a contemporary, um, Peter Rowlings, who has published a book entitled How Not to Speak of God, who says that instead of bringing God to unreached places and unreached peoples, I find countless missionaries who say that whilst this was how they once thought, time and again they find that these unreached places are the very sites where they must go to find God and be reached. How many of us learned too late that our initial idea that by serving the world we will bring God to others has eclipsed the wisdom that in serving the world we find God there. The contemplative apostolic is also a praying presence. My balance of prayer has changed dramatically. Prayer is not something that's extra to work. My work is prayer. And I discovered that in a conversation with a Muslim friend. And this work of prayer, when lived fully, and that includes the struggle of trying to do so, enables others to be people of prayer and presence and nurtures community. It seems to me that busy people produce busy communities. And in my experience, praying people nurture prayer and presence in the other. So this praying presence also connects with creation and creativity. Attending to love means attending to the whole earth and person, creating opportunities for walks of awareness, prayer walking and quiet within creation, opportunities for creativity, all part of what it means to be contemplative apostolic. To pray is to be apostolic. And finally... The contemplative apostolic lives within the cloud of unknowing, providing an environment where it's safe to ask questions 
and where both faith and the absence of faith may be explored without fear of judgment, where language and speech give way to image, metaphor and silence, and where, in Pete Rowling's words, an apparent vacuum becomes a witness to the event that is Christ. Such a community trusts that the very wanting to explore, to question, to find a way, is in itself part of the finding. Trust that the spirit is already active in the other, and that often the best we can do is stay silent and listen and encourage the other to hear within themselves the very activity and presence of the beloved. And a community that is content to be still in the presence of love, to seek God with all of ourselves and to trust to the work of the spirit in the place where we find ourselves. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information on Fresh Expressions Roundtable Number 5 and other podcasts of this conference and the MOOC community, please see www.sacramental-fresh-expressions.ning.com and www.moot.uk.net. Thank you.